Welcome to Awareness to Action, a podcast brought to you by the Northwestern Community Services Board Prevention Department. I'm your host, Casey, a social worker and prevention specialist here in Virginia. Our podcast goal is to promote wellness through conversation, connection, and action. We hope each episode will leave you feeling inspired and motivated to look for ways to get involved in your own community. Hello, and welcome back to Awareness to Action. I'm happy to welcome Rita Miller to the show today. Rita is the Cessation Services Coordinator for the Tobacco Control Program at the Virginia Department of Health, where she is responsible for the coordination of services for Quit Now Virginia, Virginia's tobacco cessation quit line. Throughout her career, Rita has managed collaborative relationships with a wide array of community members and agencies to help build, promote, and maintain healthy communities. Rita is a Virginia-coordinated school health fellow and a tobacco treatment specialist, as well as the author of Determined Destination, Life's Imperfect Journey of Learning and Love. Rita is so engaged in and excited about the work she is doing in the community. I love talking with Rita about her work because she approaches it with humility and inclusivity at the forefront. It's great when someone can push us to think more creatively about the work we're doing, and I think Rita does exactly that in this conversation. Rita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Good afternoon to you, Casey. I am so happy to be here. And it's just an honor to be asked to participate in the podcast. So I am so glad that um, I'm the chosen one today. (laughs) Or to our conversation. Thank you. Me too. So let's start with you telling our listeners about the work that you do and the path that you took to get here. All right, so I am currently the Tobacco Cessation Services Coordinator at the Virginia Department of Health, and I work on the Tobacco Control Program team, and um, it is our responsibility to uh, make system policy and environmental changes in terms of tobacco usage, prevention, advocacy, and for me, particularly cessation. So in my role, I am responsible to ensure that Virginia provides a tobacco cessation counseling service for anyone ages 13 and up who desires to quit using tobacco, or I should say nicotine products, because we also cover um, smokeless tobacco, anything that would include uh, snooze and snuff and dip and all of those things. And we also include vaping. So if vaping is a part of someone's habit right now and they want to quit, certainly uh, Quit Now Virginia can help you with that. So that is what I am uh, currently doing. But my path to get here has been kind of interesting. Um, When I talk to my friends about it, it seems like I've been all over the place. But actually, when I think about it, it's just one thread that runs through my career. And I've spent the majority of my career working in nonprofits. Um, I worked for the Commonwealth Girl Scout Council for a number of years. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me to learn how to work in communities, with communities, and for communities, because there is a difference in all of that. And um, in that work, it um, also taught me how partnerships with community organizations and groups were so important because we often think that we can do things on our own because we know what we're doing and you probably do know what you're doing in your own head in your own space 
But also you have to understand, I learned to understand that there were other organizations and individuals and communities who were doing very different things, but working with the same persons that I was. And so if we could pool our resources and pool our thoughts and pool our uh, efforts together, we would get a much better product and a much better outcome. So as I said, I worked for a number of years for Girl Scouts, and then I had a wonderful opportunity to go to the American Cancer Society where I worked um, for the South Atlantic Division. And in that role, I was the director of youth initiatives and I was responsible for all youth programs in all states between Delaware and Georgia to include West Virginia and Washington, DC. So I had a huge territory at the time. And, um, and our role was basically to encourage young people and those who advocated for the health and well-being of young people to um, really look at tobacco control, tobacco prevention, as well as nutrition and physical activity. So the main things that I did was to, uh, first of all, bring an understanding and, uh, and bring into a relationship with the American Cancer Society along with um, schools and colleges and universities and youth serving organizations so that they could understand that they had a role in this. Although they may not be dealing with the disease of cancer, our role was to help prevent them from ever having to deal with the disease of cancer. And one of the things is, is to you know, keep a healthy, a healthy body as well as a healthy mind. And so I worked in that role for a number of years. And then um, I moved over to the Virginia Department of Health and um, I've been there ever since. And as I said, it seems like I've done some various and sundry things, and I have, but it's all about human services. It's all about the betterment of someone else's life. It's all about trying to take the resources that you have and imparting them in the community so that it can be a healthier and a better place for people to live. Well, it sounds like an exciting career, and I know that you're still excited about it, which we'll get to more later because I want to, mm -hmm. I have some questions for you related to that, but you just clearly have this passion for public health and for service to and betterment of your community. And I'm wondering what drives or influences that for you? I think first and foremost, I see myself as a servant or a servant leader. And I operate from that point of view. That is my personal um, commitment to the work that I do. And it's what makes it easy for me to serve the people that I serve because I'm always um, excited or I get excited when I see the light come on in someone's head that they got it. Or when I answer a question with, with something they've been struggling with and it's been something that has been difficult for them, a challenge for them. But I, with my limited knowledge of public health, sometimes I had the answer for them or I had the resource for them or I had the place to go or the person to see or the thing to do. It's all about moving the marble in people's lives to a better place. And so that's what keeps me I'm passionate about this because we can all do this in some way. I'm just fortunate enough to do it in my day to day. And um, the other fortunate part about it for me is that it's specific as to what it is that I do. And so I try to do that in a way that I am forever um, improving upon the services that I can provide to not only the people that need them, or the patients or the clients, as we would call them, but also the people that serve them, the healthcare providers, or either the people who run the 
YMCAs or recreation departments or whatever, what can I do to give to them so that they can serve the people that they are providing programs and services to? How can I make that experience better, not only for the provider, but also for those who are receiving the service? I'm really glad that you just brought that up because there are levels to who you're serving in your work. And I'm curious what you do or what your perspective is on how you empower those who are doing the same work in positions around you. I guess the the folks that you supervise, how, you know, like your regional coordinators, I know you have regional coordinators, how are you in your work with them? helping, you know, striking the balance of giving them tools and also helping them to figure out their own stride in the work? First of all, I try to keep them as informed as I possibly can. It's it's to the point of what I know they need to know, because they are actually, in, in terms of our regional coordinators, and also when you look at other people who do that on the ground kind of work in communities, they are the boots on the ground. They are the persons and individuals who have their fingers on the pulse of the community. So they know what the community needs and therefore from the, from the, the home base or the central office, um, which is where I work, is it, it is important for me to be able to create these opportunities for the community, but also impart them to the regional coordinators or anybody else in the community in a way that they is easily absorbed it's not difficult for them to grasp what it is we're trying to do, we want to do, or we want others to do, but also in a way that it's easy for them to impart it into the communities that they serve. So I, I see my role is making products and services and resources as quote unquote user-friendly as I possibly can for everyone who uses them, regardless of whether or not they're on my VDH tobacco control team, or whether they are a community down the street, a community across the the state. I I want everybody to be able to take what we have, understand it easily, and use it to the best of their ability for the people that they serve. A huge emphasis on accessibility in your work. Mm -hmm. It it is, yeah. So when when talking about sharing that information and making it user-friendly. I know that one of the first things you did in your role was to create a comprehensive resource guide. And I love a good resource guide. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the power and the importance of information dissemination that is accessible and is user-friendly. Yeah, you're so right. Okay, so when I came into this role as a cessation services coordinator, I was, I, did not know anything about quitting in Virginia. I had done tobacco control. I had done prevention, but I'd never done cessation services. I had no idea that Virginia had this wonderful service that was free for people 13 and over that could just call or either um, access it through the web and get counseling to help them quit using tobacco or quit using nicotine. And then as I began to, um, you know, just, you know, you you delve deeper into a role to your new job. I began to understand that people in my office didn't know it existed. Providers that I talked to didn't know it existed. And I was like, you know, we have this wonderful program that nobody knows anything about. That, that's not working on my watch. And so that's when I began to think, how can I let people know that there is this 
extraordinary resource available to them, available to the people that they serve. I didn't want anything that was you know, just a lot of text and um, I wanted good information, not a lot of information. And there is a difference. And so I brought my team together. And I think when I, when I shared it with them, they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Like she wants to do what? <laughs> so, but I just kept plugging at it. And then when I, when I finally got the blueprint in my mind of what it needed to look like and what it needed to say and what it needed to share, but also the call to action on it, then I was ready to say, okay, you all, you all, this is what we're going to do. And so I basically just talked about what Quit Now Virginia is, why it is important that you know about Quit Now Virginia, what um, the burden and the risk of tobacco use, use is or are, and how you can help your patients um, who want to quit using tobacco, do that in a free and confidential way. And then on the flip side of it, because it was two-sided, on the flip side, we have a referral program where providers can refer patients to the quit line. And so I just kind of outlined A, B, C, D, E, this is what you do. And this is how easy it is to do it. And we began to distribute them all across the state. I was mailing them out blindly. Um, any other department on my floor because we are in uh, health promote health prevention and promotion. And so you are preventing and promoting health just like I am. So please take this resource guide and give it to the people you're serving. So I began in-house. I began to say, you know, when you go to your health fair, you go to your whatever with your people, take this and give this to them, especially if you're dealing with and working with providers and those in communities who are tasked with um, bringing health and wellness to those communities. And then when the regional coordinators came on board, which was probably about three years later, um, it was a huge part of the packet that they used to engage healthcare providers. Because again, as I said, people didn't know that it existed. And so, and, and the other part is we didn't have a lot of money to do a lot of um, promotion or paid promotion. And so I had to depend on um, hospitals and healthcare providers and anybody that, I, that would talk to me and listen to me and I could tell them what we were doing, I had to depend on them. And I would say to them, if you would share this everywhere, I would, that's what, you know, that was the mantra, you know, please share this in your community. So it became, you know, our, our Bible, so to speak, because it had all the information that we needed. And from there, as we began to grow our program and began to see um, the benefits of our labor, the, the return on our investment of all of these conversations and, you know, all of these meetings that we had to put this piece together, um, then we began to build other tools and resources off of it. I can appreciate what you're sharing about making sure that the resources are known to providers, because I think sometimes in public health, there's a focus on getting that information directly to members of the community or clients, whomever, mm -hmm. when providers are so often in a position to offer those referrals, but even the barrier of not knowing what website to send someone to or whatever is huge yeah. and can stop a really beautiful coordination of care from ever happening. So I think that's really interesting that that's where you put the focus of the resource guide. Mm -hmm. 
as I said, the providers were the ones who, were, who are working with the people in communities. And oftentimes, if your provider tells you to do something, you might do it, you know, because that is your trusted resource. And if it comes from them, then you would think that you should move forward with whatever they, they are telling you or wherever they are sending you or whatever they're giving you, you should pay attention to that. Rita, I'm so curious what it's like mm -hmm. to be doing work in one state when the same type of work is being done simultaneously across the country because every state has its own strengths and challenges, I'm sure. And you know, in your state, you're doing this resource guide while other states are taking different approaches. Can you speak to that? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> Virginia is an interesting state because we're a tobacco state. And, um, and we share that uh, designation <laughs> with many other states. Um, you know, all the states across the South are basically tobacco states. And so what happens here in Virginia, you know, North Carolina, um, South Carolina, uh, West Virginia, some other states, they understand. But when you sort of go out, you know, to middle America and get over to the West Coast, some of the issues we have are just foreign to, to those areas of the country. Um, tobacco will never be a boring subject here in Virginia because it's always something that we are uh, man not mandating, but fighting for um, because we have a lot of obstacles to come up against, but we never give up. You know, I, I've been working in tobacco control since probably 2004, and here we are still. You know, we've made some strides. Um, and the thing is, the tobacco industry is forever changing. And so therefore, it encourages our work to change, to have to change. Um, case in point, we would have never thought about something called vaping to become an issue 10, 12 years ago. And now we cannot go anywhere with a group. It can be a group of people. It can be one person. If you tell them that you work in tobacco, be it prevention, control, advocacy, cessation, whatever, vaping is going to come up because people want to know. You know, it's, it's such an, it's an unknown to one group and then it's the epidemic in the other group. And so some kind of way you have to uh, peel the onion back on both when you're talking to both and getting them to understand both sides of that situation. How do you stay flexible in that work, I feel like one minute you probably think you've got a good grip on things. And then all of a sudden there's an entirely new thing like vaping that will dictate the course of your work for years. If one thing I've learned in human services, you have to learn how to pivot and pivot quick. I mean, it's, it's just the nature of what you do. Um, you always, you have to be, for lack of a better way of putting, you have to be light on your feet, light, light, light in your head. You know, you know, you can be very focused on this one thing and then all of a sudden something else comes and you just have to turn on that dime and go in that direction. You can't let what, you, what you're doing go, but you have to focus over here because our job is to be responsive to the communities and what they need and what they need to know. So it encourages us to get up to speed to learn as much as we can, as quickly as we can, so we can either be able to provide the information, the resources, or 
the, the task that needs to be done, depending on who you're dealing with, to kind of either alleviate a problem, calm fears, bring truth to um, just what is being said in communities, because uh, that's what we found with vaping. There were so much, so many inadequacies, and there were also uh, situations where you have one group, you know, like our young people thinking that they're doing a very safe thing, it's just, it's just vape. No, it's not just vapor, you know, it, it is actually products in the vapor that can help, that can hurt you. So, um, you know, we just have to, you just have to stay flexible, stay connected to um, our health, our major healthcare organizations. We don't do anything um, unless we consult the CDC. We are very connected to um, the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, um, the National Institute of Health, Americans for Non-Smokers Rights, um, the Public Health um, consortium. So we, we just stay connected to as many people as we possibly can. And they sort of help us be able to kind of maneuver and, and pivot and navigate as we need to, because thankfully they stay in front of things like that. And so therefore they are able to provide us what we need most of the time in a very quick fashion. Um, but the thing is getting us up to speed and then that makes us have to create something to give to somebody. You know, of course, you want it to be evidence-based. You want it to be truthful. You want it to be factual, but you want it out quick. <laughs> so you just learn how to, you know, just kind of make all that happen. And, you know, work with your, your partners in the community, your partners in your office, you know, just to see what you can do, how quickly you can do it and how correctly you can do it. When your partners are staying flexible and are ready to pivot, and mm -hmm. empowers you to do the same. Easy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> win, yes. That's the key word, win. Yes. Yeah. I, I think you've touched on this in everything you've said so far. And I have heard you say before that you do not advocate for working in a silo, which I love that phrasing. Um, it's just so evident that that community partnership is crucial to your work. And I, I would just love for you to speak to how you encourage and support collaboration with community partners, ones that are expected like the CDC or maybe some unexpected sources that end up being a really great partnership. And that's usually the case, the unexpected. I love the unexpected. You know, the people are like, oh, really? But anyway, um, it is so important to me and the work that I've done over my career to not try to do it by myself but either just with the people I work with every day, you know, with my team. I mean, we know what we're doing. And the thing is, you know what you know, but once you get out of, outside of your four walls and, um, you know, our responsibility is the state of Virginia. And so there are so many organizations and individuals who are doing some of the same kind of work, some very different kinds of work, but two things are true. They all are very passionate about what they're doing and they all want the best outcome for their client. And so do we. The other part of it is in reality, we all are serving the same people in some kind of way, shape or form. So why not pool your resources, collaborate, uh, communicate, coordinate, and just come together to do the work that needs to be done because a couple of things come to mind. One, 
I think it it's a good thing for everyone when your funder or your powers at B, your leadership sees that you're not working by yourself to get something done. You brought some other partners in because that builds good community uh, relations. It builds trust within the community, but it also kind of spreads not only the work, but it spreads the missions of the organizations around. You know, you can't, you're not, not melding missions because everybody, you know, they know what they want to do. But when you work together, both missions are being accomplished. At the end of the day, your, your individual organization's objective is being met, as well as the other, other organization or personal, whomever that you're working with, their objective is being met. And the objective generally is to do something in the community that's going to be beneficial to the people that you serve. And if you can get that done and you don't have to do it alone and it looks really good on your annual report, whatever you're writing, whatever you are sharing in your community about how you worked with X, Y, and Z, it lets, it lets people know that you are a team player. You know, it doesn't look good when you know, I did this and I, you know, I doesn't go very far. It really doesn't. It sounds good when you talk about it yourself, but it doesn't go far. But when you start talking about we, and the we starts expanding, the numbers start growing in the we. And then the other part of that is, the more you work with other organizations, the more people will wanna work with you because it says something about who you are and the way that you work, the work that you do. And everybody wants to be connected with, you know, people that do good work or is seen as a quote unquote winner in the community. And so it's, it's helpful all around and it's beneficial all around, not only to you as maybe the one who calls the people to the table to work with you, but it's beneficial to those who you serve because they are getting a better product because you have more hands, more minds, and more hearts working on it. I feel like there's a bravery in reaching out and asking others to collaborate. And then, at least in my own experience, it's so humbling to approach work that way because, you know, you think you've got it all figured out and you're inviting a partner in to work with you on it. And then I, I mean, I feel like it's happened a million times in my life where I'm completely awed by what they're bringing to the table and what I had never considered and where we're going together once there's more than one person or group involved. You are so right about that. Because as I was saying, you know, you don't, you know, it's, 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 it's the extra or the awe factor that really is, that's really exciting about this. And I think the other thing that's beneficial in working with other organizations, you get to learn who they are and what they do. Because you, you can hear about an organization or, or a program, you know, all day long. But if you don't know what they do, you really can't help somebody else as much as you probably could have um, because you, 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 you just know this organization exists, but you don't know that it can help somebody else do something if that is coming out right. Um, and I think it's important that we, you know, we don't operate with closed minds and closed hands. You know, we should always have our minds open, ready to receive whatever is out there to uh, drop in and we can mull it around and do whatever we want to do with it to make a better something come out of it. Um, and with our hands, you know, you, you can't do much with your fists closed. You know, if your hands are open, 
you know, you can grasp somebody else's hand and you all can go forth together doing whatever needs to be done. And that's kind of how I like to operate. I love that imagery. I love yeah. that. And you're right. I mean, you, once you start collaborating and you start accomplishing things that you didn't know you could accomplish mm-hmm. before, it just, I mean, it, it just perpetuates good work because then you, you think, well, I didn't know we could do that. So what else is ahead of us that I didn't think we could do or who mm-hmm. else could we collaborate with that I never thought would partner up with us. And that's thrilling. I mean, that's like the best thing on earth. It is. And the thing is, you can't, one of the things I learned is that you can't have fear (laughs) and just blind calling somebody and say, look, I'm who I am. This is what we do. This is what we're thinking. Just want to know if you want to, you know, just sit and have a little chat about it with us. Because we believe from who you sit, by whom you serve and what you do, you know, we really could do some good work together. And on the, on the flip side of that, it's sort of, um, what's the word I want? It's sort of um, honorable that somebody has called you to ask you to work with them. That says something about the work that you're doing. And so you always either want to be in the position of being asked or the one who has your hand out trying to pull somebody else along, come do this with me or with us. I feel like it's the same when you when you hopped onto this uh, Zoom call today, you said that you were like excited and happy to be the chosen one for today. And I'm over here feeling really honored that you're giving your time to talking about all of this. So I, you're right. It is honorable. And I think that's a gift. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think we need to, you know, as a community and especially those who serve the community, we need to be able to be open to receive the gift, give the gift, um, because it's just going to make the work that we do better and the people that we serve uh, will get what, what, what they deserve. You know, that's why we come to work every day. That's why we create all these things and, you know, rack our brains about how can we do and what can we do and where can we do. That's why you do it, you know, for a better life for the people you're serving. You, you can't sit on it or, or, well, you can, but you shouldn't, I don't think, um, because it, it just doesn't blossom as it should because it is, it's not being fed the way that it needs to be fed. Absolutely. When we first spoke, you shared with me that you still feel excited to go to work every day. And I imagine that that's a huge part of what keeps you engaged is the possibility of those relationships, both with the people you're serving and the partners you're serving with. It does. Um, I have not gotten to the point where you know you wake up any morning, especially Monday, say, oh, Lord, I got to go to work. I, I really haven't gotten there yet. Um, I really enjoy the work I, I, I do. And I have to say, I'm really blessed to be able to say that because everybody cannot say that. Um, you know, that is not the sentiment of a lot of people, but it has been the road or the, the hand that I've been dealt. Um, and I think uh, one of the things I like, I like the flexibility of the work that we do. Um, it's never, ever, ever the same, ever, ever, any day. You know, you, you might be working on a project, but even if you're working on a project, the next day is going to be different than what you did the day before, and which is, which is good. Um, but it also gives you an opportunity to, as you say, work with so many people on so many different things, so many different projects. But the other part of it is it, it enables me to be able to provide services to people. 
Um, I know it is often said, you know, you just want to make a difference in somebody's life. We all do. But I can truly say I believe that the work that I do day to day is making a difference in somebody's life. It could be a provider. I could make life easier for a nurse, a doctor, a physician, whatever, um, or a patient, of course. And so um, in, in saying that, you know, I don't take that lightly at all because I think it's important that uh, we stay, as I said, we stay flexible and be able to bend the way we need, the way we need to bend um, and move in the directions we need to move in so that we can ensure that the outcome for the people we're serving is in what we want them to have. I'm curious how you balance that, the weight of knowing that you have the power to impact others and make a difference without turning that into a, I don't know, a, an over-involved responsibility. I don't know if that's the right phrasing, but how do you keep that kind of, you know, the, the pride and joy of knowing that you're impacting others without taking it on too much, I guess. Okay, I, I think I, I hear you because it can be heavy. Is that what you're saying? It can be heavy? It can. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, um, I think over time you learn how to understand first, it is your work. You're doing the best that you possibly can do in your work. And even if the outcomes or the responses or the decisions aren't what you want them to be, you put your best into it and keep it right there. Keep it there. Um, I remember when I worked for Girl Scouts, I used to, you know, we would have all kinds of trainings and all kinds of gatherings of leaders, of course, to come to. And I used to get so upset because people didn't come, you know, if people didn't come. And I don't know if, if one of my supervisors said this to me, or I came to it on my own, but she said, Rita, you did, somebody just said say this to me. She said, Rita, you did everything you were supposed to do to get them there. You prepared well, you were prepared, you promoted it well. It's up to them to come. It's up to, it's not up to you. You did what you were supposed to do. They did not. So you can't worry about what they didn't do because you did what you were supposed to do. And I think I took that and began to ride that way. <laughs> Of, you know, as long as you do what you're supposed to do, you can't make other people do what you're asking them to do. It is now their decision. The ball is in their court. But you've done what you've been asked to do, what you've wanted to do, what you are, are passionate to do. But at the end of the day, you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Not as about attending this business, you're doing it for somebody else and for them to react to what you want them to do. Yeah. That's a powerful separation and a reminder that I need. <laughs> well, I feel like it would really just be a huge mistake to have you here without asking you about the incredible resource that your work supports, which is the quit line. So can you just tell our listeners about what that is and what it offers, how they can access it? Sure. Okay. So Virginia offers a program called Quit Now Virginia. And Quit Now Virginia is a tobacco cessation service for individuals ages 13 and over who want to quit smoking. It is absolutely free. It is confidential. And you can access it through our website if you want, 
because what we're learning is most people either want to do website or texting, or you can access it by phone. Once you call the quit line, there is an intake process. Um, as you know, if you call anywhere that has anything to do with anything, they want to get some information from you, and we do too. Um, but the information that we're that we're asking you about is to make sure that we are providing services to every citizen in the state that absolutely needs it. So in order for us to get that information, we have to know who we're serving. And so that's why we do the intake process. If you decide on that day that you want to um, move into your counseling services, then you will be transitioned over to a quit coach. The quit coach is trained in motivational counseling, so they know exactly what they're doing. Um, they take over 230 hours of training. They are supervised by an experienced quit coach. And every quit experience or quit counseling experience is individualized. There's nothing that's cookie cutter about it. Uh, the quit coach in you know, a very short time gets to know you, gets to understand who you are. They will ask you questions about you know, when you started smoking, um, have you tried to quit before? If you have, what your triggers were to help you, what your triggers were that you know, got you smoking or using tobacco again or using nicotine again. So they really try to figure out who you are. And they also want to know why is it that you're calling now? Why is it that you're contacting quit now? Why is it that you want to quit? Because that's going to help them create, a, help you create a quit plan so that you can stick to your quit plan because you and the coach made that plan together. It's not the coach saying you need to do this, 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 and this. It's you and the coach having a conversation about what it is that you can do, what it is you should do, and what you need to look out for. Because one of the things we know, um, the evidence shows that most people who really want to quit uh, using tobacco, it takes over 30 times to do so. Some can do it in less time, and God bless them, we're glad that they can, but many people, we've had many people to say they've tried, and it just takes one little thing that should trigger them for them to go into relapse. And we're here for you, so you can call the quit line as many times as you want to. It's not like you can call the quit line and then you can't call them, or you can call us as many times as you need to call us. You can also access us um, through the web um, if you want to call us. That number is 1-800-784-8669. I'm gonna give that to you again, 1-800-784-8669. And if you wanna access us through the web, that, that web address is quitnow.net backslash Virginia. Again, that's quitnow.net backslash Virginia. And so keep in mind that this is a service not only for the tobacco user, but if you have a loved one, a coworker, anybody that you are concerned about who uses tobacco and you know they need to quit, they know they need to quit, you're welcome to call the quit line. You can ask any questions, as many questions as you want. Um, the quit line is available also to healthcare providers who want to know about the quit line and how it can help their patients. So we're not here only for the, 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 the tobacco user, but anybody who wants to know about the services that we provide or the services that someone can get, we'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you. And uh, if 
anyone didn't catch <laughs> the website or phone number, I'll have them uh, linked in the episode description so everyone can access them easily. Well, Rita, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, okay. which is what does the process of awareness to action mean to you? Awareness to action means to me that if you're going to serve the community, you need to in some way, shape, or form be a part of the community, not necessarily the community that you're serving, but you need to know what's going on in the community so that you can understand what the community needs or what the community is about, um, how you see the community moving. And then when you get back to your desk, your camp, your space, you can begin to create, develop, think about, collaborate, cooperate, <laughs> um, and communicate with others what you, they, we can do to support what's happening in community. That's the action. Um, that's why I think our community, our regional coordinators are so important because they are the ones with the fingers on the pulse of their communities. They come back to us and we sit in meetings. We're having a meeting in April. We have quarterly meetings and we talk about what's going on in communities and what we can do as a tobacco control program, what we can do as Quitting Our Virginia to support what we see happening or what we see the need being in the community. Case in point, a couple of years back, we recognized that it would be really nice if there were tobacco treatment specialists um, who could provide cessation counseling in local communities. Because some people, you know, the quit line is fine. You can call, you can um, access it through the web, but some people just need to sit down across the desk to talk to somebody about their issue. And so that was our awareness. We needed that, we, we should do this. And so then the opportunity came for us to be able to help 18 of our health educators throughout the Virginia Department of Health System to take um, the Duke UNC tobacco treatment specialist training so that they can then be the counselors in those communities. And to me, that was our awareness to action. We saw the need, we put some things in place. We were able to support our local communities through the training of these tobacco treatment specialists. And now we have 18 tobacco treatment specialists, as well as all of us who are also tobacco treatment specialists to help in communities. So that's my definition of that. I think it's a good one. Um, Rita, I'm, I'm so thankful for your time and I'm feeling very motivated to start paying a little more attention, looking around at what my community <laughs> needs and who I might work with that I haven't thought about before. And okay. uh, I'm just grateful for that. So thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And I'm hoping <laughs> the information that I shared would be beneficial to your listeners. And um, if anyone wants to, I guess, contact me personally to talk about Quitting Air Virginia, I'd be more than happy to talk to them. Great. Um, we're always looking for advocates and those who are interested in tobacco control through our state coalition and all of that. So that would be great. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Rita. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thank you again to Rita for joining us. 
As I mentioned before, the Quit Now Virginia information is linked in the episode description. I highly, highly encourage everyone listening to check it out. And make sure you subscribe to Awareness to Action so you don't miss out on any of the conversations we have coming up in 2022.